Acts chapter 1, let's just get right to it for sake of time. Acts 1, beginning in verse 15, and simply entitled the message, Sovereignty and Responsibility. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and he said, brothers, The Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle. And all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalm, Psalms, May his camp become des- desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And, in another psalm, let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show us which one of these, these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The thesis this morning is simply this, leadership Obedience and resurrection gospel preaching are the foundation of healthy churches. Leadership, obedience, resurrection gospel preaching are the foundation, and I would say not only the foundation, but also the sustenance of healthy churches. Leadership's corrupt, church won't be healthy. Church that won't be obedient to scriptures won't be healthy. A church that loses resurrection gospel preaching will not be healthy. Even if it's been healthy for a hundred years, if those things are gone, the church ceases to be healthy. And there's no way to build a healthy church without those. We could add other things, I'm sure, but those things are in our text, and so that's the ones we list. Number one, this morning, if you're taking notes or it's on the back of your bulletin, The necessity of fulfillment. We find that in these opening verses 15 through 17. You'll notice there in the text in 15 through 17, you have an apostle by the name of Peter, and you have him to stand up and you have him to speak. But this statement he makes is that Scripture must be fulfilled. Scripture has to be fulfilled. It's a necessity. So as we observe this uh, these first three verses, I just want to note just a few simple things. Number one, an initiative. 
Somebody has to take charge. Somebody has to do something. Somebody has to, how do they say, get the ball rolling. It's like, why does so-and-so always, why are they always doing something? Because if they don't, nothing will get done. Well, he does everything. I wonder why. I wonder why. Because if that person didn't do everything, nothing would ever get done. So in a sense, for leadership, leadership, there must be an initiative. That's what leaders do, whether it's church or whether it's some secular business. Leaders take the initiative to have foresight to look ahead to put things in place. And so you got 120 people sitting around and had a prayer meeting. Everybody's praying. You got men, you got women, you got Mary, you got Clopas, you got these other ladies that are there. You got 120 people all gathered together. They're doing a noble thing. They're, they're praying. But somebody needs to say something. Peter stands up. He's told, you know, earlier in uh, the Gospel of John, we just finished, he was told to feed the sheep. He was told to tend the sheep. And so. He's obeying what he was told to do. He stands up and he speaks. He's got a word to say. And so he takes the bull by the horns, if you will. But notice his inspiration. He has initiative, but notice his inspiration. Verse 16, men, brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. Now, I could belabor this far longer than you want to pursue it. But the Greek text says, men, Brothers, two words. It's also two words in the Spanish translation, but these two words. So here's what I did. I sent two words in Spanish to Jonathan, these two Greek words. I sent them to him in Spanish and said, translate them. And the translation that came back was brothers. And so these two words, you combine them and you just say brothers. But if you wanted to be literal, it would say men, brothers. I, I'm not going to pursue this point any further than just to say this. Here is an apostle making a distinction that I'm talking to men. In a room where there's men and women, the issue at hand that's going to come is the fulfillment of this 12th person to take Judas's spot, and only men are qualified for this position. We won't consider a woman in this voting process for this role because it's excluded to men only. Now, the other thing I want you to notice in this text is he says the Scriptures had to be fulfilled. And I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit can work in whatever way He jolly well pleases. Don't get some weird, distorted theology of there's no Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and He had to be poured out in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is all through the Old Testament. He just worked in different ways in the Old Testament than He's going to work in the birth of the church. And so we understand these things. And so let me remind you, uh, according to uh, one commentator, David spoke but it was the Holy Spirit who spoke through him. So the Psalms attributed to him were regarded as being inspired by God. David's writing with a pen, feather and a quill, if you will. He's writing on this parchment paper, but the Spirit of the living God is so real in him that he's communicating and leading him to write exactly what he writes. Thus, when I read Psalms, I hear God speak. God speaks through his written word, and I can say, God said. 
God said what? He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree. We could go on. Hey, God's speaking by the Holy Spirit in pinning these things down. And when we read the Bible, we are hearing directly from God. Don't go in some meditation room and do some stupid pagan yoga practice. Go into a room and open your Bible and pray and read and say, God, speak to me from your word. And I also want to say that what Scripture predicts, Scripture guarantees. This is what it said would happen. This is what happened. That truth should be a blessing to your soul. When you read the promises that are yet to come, Christ will come. There is a kingdom. Where I am, you will be also. Praise God. Everything he said has been true. That's going to be true too. Or Peter says it in, later in 1 Peter. He says it this way. No prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man. Never did man produce one iota of a word in Hebrew, Aramaic, or in Greek. Never did he produce one thing of his own will. It's not permissible. God moved through them. He says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yes, I love this book. This is God's book to me and to you. I just, it baffles me why people don't read their Bible. It, apparently, you must not love God. I, I don't get it. Here's God's letter to you, and you're watching Oprah. It makes no sense. You're, you're watching some kind of weird sitcom, some virtual reality show, and you don't know squat about the Bible. What's wrong with your heart? Here God speaks to me every day. Every day God's alive and well. And God's saying stuff to me. He's bringing this stuff to me. And every morning I get to sit with Him. Verse 17. It's incomprehensible. Peter takes the initiative. The Word of God is inspired. But this is incomprehensible. Verse 17 This Judas guy, numbered among us, allotted his share, notice, in the ministry, diakonos, in this servant ministry, he has his share. And it says, Judas became a guide. A guide. You know that every time in Scripture the word guide is used, it's in reference to wicked people? I didn't know that. You may have known it, but I didn't know it. So you have blind guides in Matthew 15. You have blind guides in Matthew 23. Here in our text, we have a traitor as a guide selling out Jesus. He guided them to arrest Jesus. And then if you look in Romans 2, 19 and following, you'll find you have these sinful guides. They're telling everybody else what to do, but they won't do it themselves, and they become sinful guides. No, anyways, Judas, to make the point, it's incomprehensible that one who's among us and has his share in the ministry with us is associated with the wickedness of guiding these things that are wicked. Judas, this is hard. It's hard. I see it in church life. I see it in my text. But Judas was numbered. Judas obtained a share 
in the ministry. How many people have been numbered in By the Word Baptist Church? How many people have done ministry in By the Word Baptist Church? How many people have taught Sunday school? How many people have gone on mission trips? How many people have gone door to door and passed out tracts and they shared in the ministry and they were a part only to end up in hell? It's disturbing to think that you could so could be a part that people don't even know that your heart's depraved. But it's true for Judas. Around 11 apostles and Jesus himself, it was true. Thomas Walker says, quote, It is possible to be numbered among Christians and even among Christian ministers and yet have neither part nor lot in the matter. Great privilege does not of necessity involve either salvation or holiness. That great privilege doesn't make you holy. It is possible, according to 1 John, it is possible to be among us, but not of us. You say, who are you talking about here? Whoever has the shoe that fits. I don't want you to be numbered among us and not be enrolled in glory. That's the issue. I want you to have a right heart with the living God. I want you to be genuinely born again. I'm not interested in nickels and noses and getting some kind of number to feel good about myself. I want it when you die that you go to heaven. That's what we want here. We want you to be so in love with Christ that it's obvious to the whole that you are love in love with Christ. It's necessary that this would happen. This is the part that bothers us is it's necessary for one to fall away. There's a lot of this share. He's in this ministry, but it's necessary he falls away. It's a necessity of happening. One must do this. One has to do this. Scripture has to be fulfilled. Scripture fulfillment throughout the New Testament should increase our faith, but these things are difficulty. What does it mean that one has to fall away? We'll return to that later, but... Just a couple of points of application where we can move on here, but just taking these first few verses, 15 through 17, I just submit to you this. Speak up for the gospel. At your job, if you don't speak up for the gospel, who do you think is going to do it? In your school, while your kids go back to school, whatever your associations, whatever avenues you run, if you don't bring forth the gospel that Jesus has raised from the dead, who do you think is going to do that? No, nobody's going to make the conversation about the resurrection of Christ. Unless the Christian stands up and speaks, we're not talking about Jesus. You know, here's all we'll talk about. Football. Or whatever stupid little hobbies we have. That's all we can talk about unless somebody comes in the room and talks about Christ. That's the church's light. Shine your light. Shine it brightly. Make Him known. Secondly, I'd say to you an application, read, study, and, may we say it, believe the Old Testament. Believe it. It's real. Apply it. Thirdly, make sure your involvement in the church, your involvement in the church is more than external action. Make sure it's, your involvement has to do with an internal reality of saving faith in Christ. And maybe simply to just say, 
we already know this, but let me just say it. I've applied it this way. You ought to believe the Bible. You ought to believe the Bible. Say why? Because it's true. Number two, main point number two, the nature of faithlessness. Look at verses 18 through 20 again. Talking about Judas. This is in parentheses. Peter's talking. Now we get this parentheses about Judas, and then Peter will pick up again in a moment. But look in verses 18 through 20. This man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Falling headlong, he burst open the middle. All his bowels gushed out. He became, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, his camp may become desolate, let there be another, no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. He had two subpoints upon the nature of faithlessness. Number one, wicked, wicked. Judas is wicked from beginning to end. Even in his involvement in the ministry, it was all wicked, it was all selfish, and it was all self-centered. Now, under wickedness, what we have in conclusion to Judas is suicide. That's what we have. He went out and hanged himself. People contemplate suicide. People talk about suicide. The first funeral I ever preached in my entire life was suicide. My cousin stopped on the side of the road, and he took a gun, and he shot himself in the head, and that was the first funeral that I had to preach. I don't like anything about suicide. It's a miserable, miserable thing to go through for any family. If you've ever been involved in that, you know the heartache of what it looks like when someone takes their own life. And it's a subject that people, ministers, Christians don't say much about because it's tricky, and we don't want to talk about it. So you have to go back, and we go back to something like John Bunyan, and we go back to Pilgrim's Progress, and you go to Doubting Castle, and you go there, and there's Christian, and there's Hopeful locked in Doubting Castle, getting the smack beat out of them every day, and Mr. Uh, 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 who's the guy that beats him up? Giant Despair is constantly saying, you would be better off just to take your own life. Just kill yourself, and that way you won't have to put up with all of this. And in that discussion, with giant despair and Christian and hopeful, as they're pondering suicide, this is what hopeful has to say. Quote, Thou shalt do no murder. No, not to another man's person. Much more then are we forbidden to take his counsel to kill ourselves. To kill himself is to kill body and soul at once. And moreover, my brother, you talk about the ease of the grave, but have you forgotten the hell where for certain the murderer go? For no murderer has eternal life. You say, I don't believe that. That's up to you, I suppose, between you and God. But this is the way it was presented in the days of old with the Puritans. And they look at the Bible and say, murder is this. The Bible says this about murder. Self-murder is the same application. Suicide's wicked in every form of it. Matthew 27, 3 through 10. I'm not going to read it all. But in Matthew 27, 3 through 10, this is what John MacArthur says. In regards to, not suicide, but in regards to this place where Judas hangs himself. Because there is a little bit of a, you say, what's the difference here? Because Matthew says this, but Acts 1 says this. So how do we reconcile hang himself 
with the deal that says he fell down and his bowels gursted out or busted out upon the ground. Are these two different accounts and are they at odds? So let me give you John MacArthur's position on the place first. He says, the traditional site for this field is south of Jerusalem. It's in the valley of Hinnom near its intersection with the Kidron Valley because the soil there is suitable for use in pottery. Matthew refers to it as the potter's field. There's jagged rocks there. There's some trees there. And it's most likely that he ties the rope in the tree and he hangs himself for sure because that's what Matthew says. Now, then what happens? The rope breaks. The knot comes untied. The limb breaks. Somebody cuts him down. Something in one of those categories. The body falls, hits the rocks, and it bursts open and blood spills everywhere. This is putting the two stories together with no contradiction. Now, this field, he says that he bought it. Well, how in the world did he buy it if he just committed suicide? Well, it's like this. Come along about Christmas time. Sometimes we have a party, and we have presents, and we exchange presents. And there's a person, I won't name necessarily, but there's a person, sometimes you'll get a present from them, and you'll open it, and it'll say, this amount of money has been given to missions in your name. Well, I didn't buy it, but this mission offering is in my name. Judas didn't buy it, but he threw the money down, and they took this money, and they bought this field, and this field is in the name of Judas. What a wicked way to end. He bought this field of blood, and he hung, he died, and all his blood was spilled here, and his wicked life came to an end. Wicked and worthless. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm, to these references. We will not read it all, but I do want you to see a little more than the one verse. And if you look in Psalm chapter 69, you'll find the first one. I just want to read a couple more verses with it as we think about the worthlessness of Judas. Psalm 69, 25. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. Now, do note, it's plural in Psalm 69, 25. May their camp, let, the one, let no one dwell in their tents. Verse 26, for they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they, ha- and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them the punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Luke takes Psalm 69 in the plural, referencing these type of people, and he turns it to the singular in Acts chapter 1, and he applies it to one person, Judas. It's true in a plural form, but brother, it's true of you. You are worthless, you did this, you get no acquittal, and your life is now in hell. Then Psalm 109 is the other quote. Let me read a couple more verses with Psalm 109. In Psalm 109, verse 6, Psalm 109, 6, Appoint a wicked man against him. Let the accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. There's our verse. 
May his children be fatherless, his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruit of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor let nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Verse 15, let them be before the Lord continually that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Now, if you're logically thinking any at all, you're saying, that's harsh. Harsh? He sold out the Son of God. Harsh? He led people to arrest Jesus and have Jesus slaughtered. How could you not have a more severe punishment for one who would defame and blaspheme the name of a holy God? A worthless life he lived, all for money, all for acceptance, all for position, and he loses all of it. He's a disciple, he's a student of Jesus, he did ministry for Jesus, but in the end, he was simply a charlatan. One more time, I think, maybe two more. One more by MacArthur, just because it's so vivid of a quote. Um, I don't agree with MacArthur about a lot of things, but here we have this. Driven by disappointment and greed, the most tragic of all men squandered inestimable privilege, betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, and damned his own soul to hell. Friend, brother, sister, don't let that be you. It don't have to be a wicked, worthless life. Don't do it. Don't sell your soul to the devil for 30 pieces of silver. Don't sell your soul to the devil for a lotto ticket. Don't do it. Embrace Christ by faith and love him. I read obituaries every week. Jeff laughs at me because I'm always reading the obituaries. I think he thinks I'm morbid or something maybe, but I read the obituaries every week. And I've been doing this for 20-something years, and this is what I get. They live, they die, and basically what's recorded is just worthless. He loved his dog, give you the shirt off his back. He was a good guy. He was funny, and he liked to tell jokes. That's it. That's all they got. He put it in print for everybody to read. I'm like, you lived 60 years, and that's all they can say about you? How worthless. He went to a ball game. He threw a ball. He kicked something. He jumped something. He ran over here. He caught a fish. He died and went to hell. Great way to live. Worthless. Versus, look at men of God and women of God, and they die with Christ, and they love Christ, they serve Christ, they worship Christ, they evangelize, and they do missions, and they love the Bible, and they die, and precious is it to the Lord. And they inherit glory for all of eternity. In application, I just say this to you. Suicide is the ultimate form of selfishness. It is totally based on self-gratification, and it thoroughly hurts everyone who cares about you. It's the most evil way you can die. Number two, you only have one life to live. It's all you got. Like it, lump it, do whatever you want to do with it. But only what you do for Christ is going to last. That's it. Dude... This is so awkward preaching. I love God's I mean, it's 12 o'clock. I'd like to finish this sermon, but I feel this unweird pressure, like you want me to shut up where you can go home. So kind of like, you know, I'm like, what are we doing? You know, so let's just make it easy. 
you're not going to offend me in the least regard if you have to go home. You can just go home. But I would like to finish the sermon. I want the ease to be able to finish it. It's 110 degrees out there, so I don't know what you want out there for anyways. But I'm going to finish this. And so, but I, I promise you, I'm being honest. If you need to go, you're not going to upset me uh, in that regard. But I'm going to finish. Ask yourself, third point of application last. Ask yourself what or who you are living for. Will your life... Is your life going to have any lasting fruit when you come to the last day? You have to answer those questions. The third major point, the last, the necessity of finding, verses 21 through 26. I do note again, a qualified man. I only emphasize this, one, because the text makes it real, but two, because we live in a godless society where they're redefining genders and redefining gender roles within the church because obviously they don't know how to read their Bibles. So if you look at Acts 1, in verse 15 you have brothers. In verse 16 you have men brothers. In verse 21 you have men. Verse 22 you have men. So it's like it's pretty specific. All of these words in Greek are masculine. And then to seal it off, putting men brothers side by side makes it very certain that Peter is talking to the men in the room. Now, qualified man, verses 21 and 22, the men who have accompanied us during the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So it has to be somebody from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up. There's some kind of weird thing goes on with commentators and people that are just weird, and they think that we should have waited and they should have got the Apostle Paul to be the 12th. The Apostle Paul's not qualified. I mean, he's not qualified, not because of sin. He's not qualified because he wasn't with Jesus at John's baptism. You say, you mean simply because he wasn't there when at the baptism of John? He's, he's, he's out? Yes, he's out. He can't be the 12th guy because the qualifications are serious in God's Word. Here's the qualifications. From this point to this point. Then comes Paul. Oh, then we can't consider you and we shouldn't wait on you. we got to find one that fits the criterion. Like in Timothy and Titus, don't play with that stuff. If this is the qualifications in Timothy and Titus, that's the qualifications. You've been married three times, you're out. You're a drunk, you're out. You're ungodly, you're out. You have to fit this stuff or you can't be considered for the office. There's a future promise that must be fulfilled. Remember, you might say, why this twelfth one? Jesus said in Matthew 19, 28, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm pretty sure Jesus knew Judas wasn't one of the 12. Read John 6 if you don't think so. And so he knew that, so when this guy goes away, that has to be fulfilled in order that there's 12 to sit upon these thrones. It says the same thing in Luke 22. Requirements from the baptism all the way to his ascension. And then notice, don't overlook this in the text, this man has responsibility that we're going to put in this office. Look in verse 22. After the baptism of John and the ascension, it says, one of these men, notice, qualification, must become. It's necessary. This is what they got to do. They got to be a witness to his resurrection. 
whoever this man is, you say, well, he's not named again in, in, in the rest of the Bible. Neither is anybody else but Peter, James, and Peter, James, and somebody else. Who? Hey, that's it. Who said that? Oh, thank you, Rory. You're on it today. Yeah. So none of these other guys are missing. It doesn't mean they didn't fulfill what they were called to do. It doesn't mean they didn't bear witness. It doesn't mean that they didn't testify. But this was one of the qualifications. And I just submit to you, where did we lose this idea? We get around to sharing the gospel. About a reformed Calvinist people, what they say, man, you got to talk about depravity. I agree. Talk about depravity. You got to talk about repentance. I agree. They need to repent. You talk about faith. Yes, you need to believe. But what should they believe? They should believe Jesus. Yes. They should believe he died on the cross. Yes. They should be, believe he was buried in a tomb. Yes. But they should believe that he's not dead. He's been resurrected, and he's alive forevermore. And if we're going to gospel preach, we better preach a resurrected Christ. Recognition, two men out of this 120, two are brought forward. I believe that both of these have the same qualifications. This is an odd one. People get upset because you won't make him an elder, and they won't make a deacon because of this, because of some little stipulation. Both of these guys are qualified. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just there's only one spot available. We can't put two in the one spot. And you see no fight. You see no argument. You see no naysaying. It's just like received. This is the one. Two men. You have Joseph Bersabbas Justice. What a name. His Latin name is Justice. He's the son of Sabbas the Elder or the son of the Sabbath, son of the Sabbath. That means either his father's name was Sabbath or he was born on the Sabbath. Matthias is a little bit easier. His name means the gift of God. There's no verbal response. It suggests complete agreement, which is how things work when the church is healthy. We don't fight. It's like, yeah, obviously that's what we should do. Verse 24, I love submission to God. Look at verse 24. And they prayed. There's a noble idea. But notice their prayer. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all. Now, at least let that statement resonate with you, because that means he knows your heart. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. The knower of hearts, Acts 15.8 is the only other time it's used. And God who knows the heart, Acts 15.8. They desire the God who knows to reveal or to show which one it is. Make it plain. By the way, that's the way it ought to be in church when you ordain a deacon or when you install an elder. The church shouldn't be go. They shouldn't say, that guy? Are you serious? Is he really? I didn't know he was an elder. I didn't know he was a deacon. Does he still come to church here? Well, we're going to make him a deacon. We'll start coming. No, that's not how you do it. When one is addressed and say, here's the one. You're like, why did it take you so long? We all knew that he was supposed to be in this position, it's obvious to the church. The Lord knows how to make it clear. It's very dangerous 
to operate in leadership positions in the church with unclarity and confusion. Let us all be in agreement. If God ever gives us another elder, the whole church should say, Amen. The reason for replacement, we do need to make mention. Judas disobeyed, deviated, transgressed. He went from, notice how far the fall is, from the place of ministry to his own place. In the Old Testament, this word to turn away or to deceive, let me give you just a couple of references. Like the nation of Israel, this is what it says about them in Exodus 32. They have turned aside quickly. They they turned to this false idol that they made. Same reference in Deuteronomy 9. Judas's place, notice, I titled the message Sovereignty and Responsibility. Scripture must be fulfilled. This has to happen. But Judas's place was his deliberate choice and his proper home in harmony with his character. He's not led out of his character. He functions within his character, and the responsibility of hell is on his own conscience. Judas went from the light of the Savior's presence to the darkness and sorrow of his own place. And we do well to take warning to his fate. What about you today? What about you? Where's your place? Where's your place when you die? You want to go to your own place? You want to do it your own way? You want to call the shots? You want to be in charge? You want to gratify your own flesh? Then go to hell. But know this, that in hell, you will never gratify one selfish desire for all of eternity. You say, all these people going to hell. I still remember Mary Lou saying, the guy said, I'm going to hell and I'm saving seats. Oh, he's not saving seats. He never accomplishes one desire in hell. It's all suffering. Judas went to his own place. Now note this. Judas is not replaced because he died. Judas is replaced because he apostatized. You say, how do you know that? Not much later, James is going to die. They're not going to replace James. He wasn't disqualified. He just died. We already have the 12. But Judas apostatized, so we have to have a legitimate person to fulfill that position. Lastly, verse 26, we get this business of casting lots. They cast lots. This was certainly permissible under Old Testament law. Leviticus 16, Numbers 26, Jonah chapter 1, and on and on. But we could say Proverbs. Let's do one verse from Proverbs. 16.33, you probably know it. The lot is cast in the lap. It's every decision is from the Lord. They have this as an Old Testament history. They want the Lord to make it clear. They don't know which one to choose. They cast lots, and the lot identifies Matthias. Matthias as Judas's replacement. Now, I do want you to note this. I've kind of varied with my views on this, but because of studying this text, now my view is different. And my view is this. Casting lots is over. 
no more. You say, why would you say that? It's not prohibited in the Old Testament. It's not prohibited in the New Testament. There's nothing negative said about casting lots, but you do find this. After verse 26, you will never see it again, ever. You'll never see it in the rest of the Bible. And when it comes, I don't know, when it comes to choosing leadership in Timothy and in Titus, I would think that if lots is the mode that God uses this day, when he got to Timothy 3 and Titus 1, he would say, appoint qualified leaders in every town. Get some guys together, cast lots, and I'll tell you which one it is. He doesn't say that. He says, these are the qualifications. You seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You submit to his leadership, match it with Scripture, and you choose men that meet these qualifications. But casting lots never happens after this. Why? Chapter 2. The Spirit of God comes, and we'll have all the leadership we need to guide us in the decision-making process. Flip a coin, heads, I'm going to do this, tails, I'm going to do this. You do it your way, I'm going to look for confirmation in the Word of God to find out what is wise. Last application. Say it once again. Offices that we're talking about, apostleship, elders, deacons, reserved for men by God and should not be corrupted by the erasing of gender specifics. Aggravates me about translations. Adelphos is brothers. It's brothers. Anthropos is men. Man. Just translate the word. It's not hard. That's what it means. Don't do an NIV in verse 16, brothers and sisters. It's not right. It's masculine, it's brothers, it's men. Stop being a pansy and just say what the Bible says. Men are pastors, deacons are pastors, women can't teach over men, women are not qualified for these positions, no slight on women, women are godly, women have roles, women are special, women are to be respected, women are to be defended. All of those things are true, you just can't serve as a pastor no more than Paul can be the 12th guy in this group. It is God who ought to be sought when we identify a godly man. (laughs) It is God who knows and it will be God who shows. Be patient and wait on God to make things clear. may not be the case for you today, but you, I don't know. It's just so grievous to see how pastorless churches seek to fulfill the pastoral role. If you're... If you and I are to be replaced, if I'm going to be replaced as the pastor here, if you're going to be replaced for whatever position you may have, make sure you're getting replaced because you're dead. Don't let them replace you because you embezzled money from the church. Don't let them replace you because you got off into an adultery scandal or started molesting children. Don't be replaced for that. Just be replaced because you're dead and you can't come to church no more. And you died serving Jesus. Judas and all others who go to hell belong there. It's the place of their own choosing. It belongs to them and they to it. Well, thank you for your patience, but it's only a 10-day interval here between the ascension and this placing him, Matthias, in position. The church is ready to be formed, and in chapter 2, the Spirit of God's going to come. The gospel's going to be preached. Wonder of wonders, glory of glory. On the other side of the world, 
And there's no church in existence nowhere. Pagans running rampant everywhere. And Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel. And men and women start repenting and believing and embracing Christ. And they gather and they read and they study and they respond to the word of God. And they evangelize and they do missions. And and it spreads all the way around the whole world to Istanbul, Turkey, and to China, and to Vietnam, and all over into Russia, and and into the Ukraine, and all the way up into the Antarctic, and all the way down to South Central America, all over. There's little churches everywhere, like... Juan Carlos in, in Tabasco and Christian in Veracruz. All over the place today, the gospel's being preached because there's power in this. And God bursts the church and sustains the church through the means He has designed. Glory, glory, God gets it all. And I pray as you hear the gospel preached here of a Christ who rose from the dead, that you would believe Him. For the saving of your own soul. Brother Jeff, you'll lead us in a